Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. So, um, <laughs> a really interesting thing happened to us on Thanksgiving this year. I say to us because it legitimately did happen to us. It didn't just happen in our midst or amongst us. It happened to us. Um, pastors have a tendency, and I'm probably the world's worst, of embellishing stories. And what I mean by that is if the story is good, then I just tell it like it is. And if it's not good, I make it like it is good, and then I tell you what I want you to hear. Um, it's not considered lying as long as you do it under the auspices of being a pastor and making a point on Sunday morning. That's in um, Hezekiah chapter 3. You can look that up later on. <laughs> at, at any rate, I don't have to embellish the following story at all because every detail of what I'm about to tell you is exactly the way that it went down. So our son Carson comes up to us uh, right before we're all about to eat. And he is uh, our seven-year-old little boy. And he said, hey, can I say the blessing, the Thanksgiving blessing? And when you got one of your kids that are volunteering to share um, with the rest of the family, uh, leading us all in, in the Thanksgiving blessing, you don't miss out on that opportunity. The answer is obviously yes. If all of my kids had asked to say the Thanksgiving blessing, we would have had five Thanksgiving blessings. Why? Because that's just one of the things you, I'll be, yeah, absolutely. It's like when your kid says, can we go to church? Yes, we can go to church. Um, the same is true when your kids ask you to say the, the blessing. And so Carson said, can I say the Thanksgiving blessing? We immediately said yes. Got everybody in the house to be quiet and listen up. And um, Carson stood up and I knew, I knew that this was going to be interesting because of the way he started. Because he didn't start as if he was saying a prayer. He started as if he had just won a Grammy, right? So he stood, he stood up and he put his hand up and he said, I'd like to thank God. <laughs> We're like, oh, this is going to be good. He's like, I'd like to thank God for the food and the shelter. And immediately I was like, what are we on, Survivor? What are you doing? The food and the, finally we have food and shelter in our family. And he was all excited about it, right? It was as if it was testimony time in church. You guys remember testifying time in church back in the day when somebody would stand up and say, give an honor to God, like that whole deal? It was that deal, right? So he's like, I'd like to thank God for the food and the shelter. And then he diverts away from his admonition of the Lord and begins to tell us the history of thanksgiving and he proceeds to say in 1898 (laughs) Christopher Columbus (laughs) which if you're wondering why other people are laughing you should probably google Christopher Columbus and find out when he was alive in 1898 Christopher Columbus was searching for the Africans Again, I'm not having to make up a word of this. This is exactly how it went down. In 1898, Christopher Columbus was searching for the Africans, but he found us instead. And he was so thankful that he found us instead of the Africans that he sat down to have a Thanksgiving meal with us. 
And as he sat down to have the Thanksgiving meal, he realized we were the Africans. And so Christopher Columbus and the Africans sat down for the first Thanksgiving dinner in 1898. Now, mind you, we're all dying laughing as each new detail comes out, right? And we have to keep encouraging him to continue on with his prayer because every time somebody snickers or laughs um, for the record I'm literally blowing snot out of my nose like I'm trying my best to hold it together and um, every time every time somebody snickers or laughs he stops he's like what that's how it goes we're like no no no, go ahead go ahead you're fine and he gets to the end and he just stops and he stands there and he looks around almost as if he's waiting on applause right And nobody claps. But my wife interjects and says, and so are you thankful to God? Like she tries to bring it all back home, right? Are you thankful to God that we're able to have Thanksgiving because all of that took place? Yes, I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat. That was my son's Thanksgiving prayer. And so if you see Carson hanging around here today, make sure you stop him and ask him about Columbus and the Africans and what God had to do with that on the first Thanksgiving. But he wanted everybody to know that he is grateful to God for providing the food and the shelter to make all of that possible. Needless to say, I don't know what your Thanksgiving was like, but we had an absolute blast with our family. It was an amazing time. We got to catch up um, with some people that we haven't gotten to talk to in a while. And then, um, obviously, we ate just a ridiculous amount of food, and it was all really, really good. Every year, I smoke turkeys. Um, I don't know how you do your turkey at your house. Um, but it's nowhere near as good as if you smoke a turkey. Um, and you can argue that you're basting or you're frying or whatever plan that you've got that you feel like the Lord gave you to be the way that you cook turkey is better than my way of cooking turkey. But I just need to tell you that you're wrong. And one of these days you're going to repent of that and begin smoking a turkey. And you can call me at any time. You can shoot me a message on Facebook. Hit me up and I will tell you how to make turkey the way that God intended for it to be made. And that was cured for three days with pink salt and then smoked. It is absolutely unreal. We had an amazing Thanksgiving. And at any rate, I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving too. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk very specifically, very quickly, and very clearly about our role over the coming weeks. And when I say our role, you may be going, wait a minute, I'm not a part of this church. I just came today. I'm just hanging out and visiting. I'm speaking to everybody in the room because over the course of the next several weeks, we all have an opportunity. More than an opportunity, we have a mandate. It's a mandate that you may not even be aware of yet, but I want to make you aware of it today and specify the importance of that mandate before you get out of this place today as we head into this Christmas season. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them up to the New Testament Gospel of John, John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're going to read a very, very familiar story. In fact, I've even preached on this story twice in the history of our church, and we have a very short history, so I have used this passage before very intentionally chose this particular passage. I've not used this 
particular version. Um, I've used Matthew's version and I've used Mark's version, but I haven't used John's version. And I wanted to bring John's version today for a very specific reason and specific purpose. But John chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse one at the very beginning. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please stop by our resource center before you leave here today. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands free of charges, our gift to you. We would really love for you to be studying God's word on your own. So we'd love to give you one of those before you leave here today. But for the sake of today's services, there are screens all the way around the room. You can follow along on one of those. John chapter six, verse one, the scripture says this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the sea of Galilee, that is the sea of Tiberias. Next verse. A little quicker, a little quicker. Thank you. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Now let me just pause here and say it's important to note that people and crowds in general love gathering around for the show, right? Anytime something cool is going on, people gather around. You watch. Somebody can break out into a fight at Walmart. It doesn't matter where you are, but if there's a cool show going on, if somebody's about to go to blows in the pharmacy at Walmart, there's a crowd of people standing around. Nobody had to invite them. Nobody had to pass out invite cards. Nobody had to beg them to come. If something cool's happening, people show up. Jesus is doing miracles. The crowd is following him. People often like to say that Jesus' legitimacy is based on his crowd. I would like to put that argument to rest and say it is not difficult to attract a crowd all you got to do is do a few really cool party tricks and people begin to gather around that's what's taking place in the life of jesus this huge crowd of people gathered around because they're hearing what he's doing they're hearing what he's saying they're hearing how he's healing the sick so they're showing up for the show so jesus had to get away it says jesus then went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples the jewish passover festival was near meaning there were a lot of people that could be a part of this crowd. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Fascinating question. Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, he wasn't asking this question because he didn't know the answer. He was asking this question for Philip's sake, not for his own. It says he asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. If you look at a parallel passage in the book of Matthew, you'll see that earlier in this account, right before all this took place, he had sent these same guys, these apostles, these disciples, these leaders, he had sent them out to do works. But he told them, don't take anything with you. Don't take any extra of anything. Don't pack well. Sense. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they pack well? Why wouldn't they take anything with them? Because Jesus wanted them to see and understand that their sustenance did not come from their own preparation. Their sustenance came from the willingness of the Father to give and meet every single one of their needs. Philip answered, "It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite." And he got it wrong. He failed the test because he's already thinking what it's physically going to take like what are we going to have to come up with what are we going to have to do to be able to feed all these people and Jesus is going I just told you you don't need anything you don't have to prepare anything you don't have to have anything God will give you everything that you need another of his disciples Andrew a little bit smarter guy Simon Peter's brother spoke up said this here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish 
how far will they go among so many? So at least he's not saying we got to figure it out. He's saying, well, we don't have to figure it out, but here's what we got. But I still don't know how this is going to work. I still don't know how you're going to pull this off, Jesus. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And if those men brought along women and then you had children, we're looking in the neighborhood of around 15,000, 15 to 20,000 people. It says, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. A lot of people miss out on that reality. He didn't just give them what they needed. He gave them as much as they wanted. He didn't just want to meet their basic needs. He wanted to bless them in a way that they would tell their friends about. He wanted to bless them in such a way that it was overflowing. He wanted to bless them in such a way that it made a huge impact on their memory. God is in the business of blessing in ways that make a difference and make an imprint and an impact on your and my life. It says he did the same with the fish when they had all had enough to eat he said to his disciples gather the pieces that are left over let nothing be wasted so they gathered them this is always my favorite part of this passage so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. I don't think that 12 basket thing was coincidence or happenstance, by the way. I think you had 12 guys who said, we don't have enough. And Jesus says, watch, watch. Not only are we going to have enough to take care of them, but even you who doubt, even you who fail in your faith, I got enough to take care of each one of you too. He didn't just give them a meal. He gave them leftovers. He gave them a to-go box. He gave them extra. A reminder that even when your faith comes up short, God meets you in your weakness. God meets you where you are. In our weakness, he is made strong. It's a beautiful, beautiful story that all of us have heard before. Nobody in the room, even if you haven't been a church person very long, or maybe you're not a church person at all, nobody is unfamiliar with this story. Why? Because it's on Jesus' Greatest Hits album, right? Like there's a few things that Jesus is known for, and one of them is feeding the 5,000, and everybody has heard of this guy Jesus, and everybody knows that this guy Jesus did this cool thing where he fed 5,000 people with five small loaves of bread and two small fish. But here's what I believe takes place often, not only among people who are new to faith or new to church, but even seasoned veterans, even guys who preach this story year in and year out. We place assumptions on the text rather than reading the reality that's in between the text. We place assumptions on what we see rather than uncovering the reality behind what we can't see on the surface. Here's what I've heard preached often, and you've heard preached before as well, that Jesus took this little boy's lunch, these five small loaves of bread, and these two fish. He's taking these little things, and, and, and he turned it into this great big feast where he was able to feed everybody. And that preaches really well, and that sounds really good. 
this little boy gave up his lunch so that 5,000 could eat. I've even heard pastors say this, would you be willing to give up your lunch in order to make a difference in the lives of those around you? Man, that preaches really good. That sounds really good. And those are the assumptions that are found on surface level of the text. Why? Because it says five small loaves of bread and two small fish. I get it. We assume this little boy, he's got a lunch, he's hanging out, he's watching Jesus, and this is all the food that's there. The problem is, it's not the reality in between the text. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Sam, can you come up here and help me out for just a second? Um, Do me a favor, and try not to drop any of this when you do. Can you take the cover off of um, what's on that table? Uh, Don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, Take that off for me. I brought with me a few props this morning. These are, uh, thanks buddy, you can, go, you can go sit down, no, you're good. You guys give it up for Sam, he did it really, really good. That was impressive. He did it with skill, with poise, um, with accuracy, and I appreciate it. This is five small barley loaves and two small fish. You may say, well, those are pretty big fish. Those aren't small fish. Uh, For the record, I've been to the Sea of Galilee, and I know what fish we're talking about. We're talking about what's now known in that area as St. Peter's fish. It's comparable to what we have as tilapia. And the whole fish are enormous fish. And, And it doesn't say that the little boy had two fish fillets. It said that he had two fish right? And so he's tracking along with five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, I very intentionally made the decision to not go and get the large loaves of bread this morning. I made the decision to bring with me the small loaves of bread, right? Now, I don't know how your mama packed your lunch when you were growing up. I don't know what your version of Lunchables looked like, but I know for me, this looks to be just a little bit overkill right? Like, for example, I know that our mamas love us, and I know that our mamas want us to have the best, and I know that our mamas want to take care of us, and so she may throw in a little bit more than we need. You guys know what I'm talking about when you were growing up and your mom always packed you more than you needed for lunch, but when we we talk about more than you need for lunch, it's still nothing that compares to this. Like, it's an extra apple that you're not going to need, or two yogurts instead of one, and you're like, why do I need two yogurts? I only need one yogurt. Like, a, a little bit more than you need, but this for the record, is nobody's lunch, right? We, we paint that onto the text because it's what we've heard. It's what we've been taught. It's what we know, that this little boy had a little bag lunch, and Jesus took this little bag lunch and made a difference in the lives of lots of people because he was faithful with his little bag lunch. That ain't no little bag lunch. That's a lot of food. There's a boatload of carbs in these. That boy would have been jumping off the walls and then laying out with his gut sticking up if he tried to get all this inside of his stomach. This is an inordinate amount of food. Forget the fact that it was a small loaf. Forget the fact that they were small fish. They were small versions of of whole tilapia. We're talking about huge amounts of food. This right here was enough to feed a family for multiple days. They would take a couple of these loaves and slice them up and that would be a dinner meal. They would take a couple pieces of this fish and they would slice it up and that would be enough. Like legitimately, this would cover a family in Judean culture for probably going on three to four dinners in a particular given 
week. Why in the world did the boy have all this food? What do you do when you need groceries? You send your son out for the food. See, this is not written in the text. It's the reality in between the text. And we know it to be true because of the amount of food that the boy was carrying with him. Five loaves of bread, two fish. He was carrying the groceries home when he heard this crowd over here. And he said, well, I'm going to stop over and see what's going on with the crowd. He heard what was going on with the people. And he stopped and he watched and he witnessed And he's holding in his hand these bags of groceries. And the reason the story implies that there's not much food is because of the number of people that they're trying to feed. But the reality is the boy's carrying a lot of food. I carried this in with me this morning. It ain't light. These are dense loaves of bread. This is a lot of food for people to eat. He's carrying these bags of groceries. And he's hearing Jesus teach this stuff. And he's watching these miracles be performed. Jesus says, we need to feed everybody. And the disciples say, well, we don't have any food. And they look out and they see this little boy and he's carrying two food lion bags. And they're like, well, I guess we do have some food. There's a little boy here and he doesn't have much. He certainly doesn't have enough to feed everybody. He's got five small loaves and two fish. And that's about all he's got. And Jesus takes what he's got and does the miraculous with it. Now, a few things I need you to write down that are extremely important we get to the application for you and for me. Number one, this was not a boy's lunch. It was a family's dinner. This wasn't a boy's lunch. It was a family's dinner. Robbie, why does that little detail matter so much? Here's why. Because the sacrifice that the little boy made was big. The sacrifice was big. Somebody needs to write that down. Then you need to highlight it. Then you need to circle it. Then you need to nudge your neighbor who's falling asleep and say, hey, write this down. This is really important. I know you've heard this story before. I know you think you've heard this sermon before, but he's talking about something different. He's saying something I've never heard before. You need to pay attention and write this down. The sacrifice was big. We often make the assumption that a little boy gave up his lunch so that lots of people can eat. No, a little boy didn't give up his lunch. A little boy gave up groceries for his family for an entire week. A little boy gave up his sister, his little sister having nutrition and sustenance. A little boy gave up uh, having a good standing with his mom and his dad. A little boy gave up a lot. A family gave up a lot in order to see that these people were fed. It's important to note that the five loaves and the two fish represent something. It represents a sacrifice, and the sacrifice wasn't minuscule. The sacrifice wasn't small. The sacrifice was big. Why is that so important? Why am I hammering on this? Why am I spending so much time? Why did I bring this visual? Why is it so necessary for you to see and understand as you head into this holiday season? If you're taking notes, write this down. If you aren't willing to sacrifice big, risk big, and trust big, then you can forget being a part of the big miracles. If you aren't willing to sacrifice big, risk big, trust big, then stop waiting around and wishing that you could be a part of miracles like feeding 5,000. As long as you keep offering the Lord your lunch, as long as you keep throwing a lunchable the Lord's way, the reality is that's what you're going to get in return. The scripture is clear over and over. The apostle Paul reiterates this point throughout the New Testament that what you sow, that is what you reap. 
what you give, what you risk, what you sacrifice, that is what is brought back to you in return. My family and I, or my wife and I, went on a cruise a couple of weeks ago. And while we were on the cruise, we kept passing by the casino. I I reiterate the point, passing by the casino. We were passing by the casino. For those of you that know me, you know it's not smart for me to be in the casino. So I need to make clear that we weren't in the casino. We were passing by the casino. And the people that were losing their minds, having so much fun, going crazy, celebrating big, weren't the people who were sitting at the $6 blackjack table. Because the people who were sitting at the $6 blackjack table, when they lost, it was meh. And when they won, it was like, huh, right? But the guys who were sitting at the high rollers poker table in the little special room off to the side of the casino, when they won, it was drinks for everybody. It was a huge party. They were popping bottles on the champagne. It was a huge celebration. Why? Because when you risk big, the return is big. When you sacrifice big, you get a lot more out of what you put in. God's saying to you and to me, hey, there's some people in your life that I want to do a work in. There's some miraculous things that I want to take place in your family's life. There's some things that I want to be supernatural and miraculous to take place in your church's life. There's some things over this holiday season that I want to do and to allow to take place that are huge, that are big, that are enormous, that are feeding 5,000-sized miracles. But it's going to require something. It's going to require you to stop offering the Lord your Lunchable and assuming that the miracle is going to come rolling in. It's going to require you to begin to start sacrificing big, risking big, trusting big. When we moved over to this area from the Harrisburg community, we had a lot of people tell us, that's just too far for us to drive. And I had a really hard time not getting into legitimate arguments with people who felt like that six miles was a long way for them to drive. These are the same people who will drive hundreds of miles in order to make money, but won't sacrifice anything in order to see a difference be made in the life of somebody else. And so I had a hard time not having that argument. So I would have the argument with my staff and avoid having the argument with the actual people who made the argument. But here's one of the things that I came to the conclusion of. If six miles was too far for people to drive, it didn't matter whether I had the argument because I didn't need those people here anyway. Why? Why? And that sounds arrogant, that sounds harsh, and that sounds coarse, and that sounds rude. No, 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 no. If they are struggling to make a six-mile sacrifice, then they're not going to be part of a 6,000-person miracle. If they're struggling to, 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 to give just a little bit more in order to see a difference made in the life of somebody... Listen, I, I, I love them, I appreciate them, I praise God for them, and I bless them on their way out. But what God is going to do in this place is not something that they can take part in anyway. Because God's not looking for people who are willing to throw a Lunchable at Him. He's looking for people who are willing to give, willing to give up their entire family's groceries for a week. He's looking for people who are willing to, to sacrifice big and risk big and trust big because they want to be a part of a big return. They want to be a part of a miraculous thing. God wants to do some miraculous things in and through you this holiday season. But it's going to require you to sacrifice. Not a little, but a lot. And so the question 
that I would leave you with is how much are you willing to sacrifice? Noah, he was willing to sacrifice a hundred years of his life. He was willing to sacrifice his reputation. He was willing to sacrifice all of his friendships, all of his relationships. And he was willing to sacrifice the livelihood of his family. Why? Because there was a flood coming. And he wanted to be on the miracle boat. He wanted to be a part of something miraculous. And so he was willing to sacrifice big. Moses, Moses ran the risk of being taken in as a murderer because he was on the run from the law and he had to go back and face his accusers, face his crimes, not only that, but face his fears. He couldn't even speak very well. He wasn't even a very good leader, but he was willing to make that sacrifice. Why? Because he wanted to see the miraculous take place in the children of Israel set free. Anybody, you look all throughout the scripture, there is never a moment when God moves in big ways where people didn't sacrifice big first. It requires giving up what you have in order to see what God can do. Now, this little boy may not have known anything about it. He may not have had this big audacious faith. It may be a complete assumption on my part that he was risking it all for the sake of this miracle. But he gave it up. And when he was willing to give up what was in his hand, God was willing to let go of and pour out what was in his. That was good. You should tweet that. You should write that down. You should circle that. It ain't on the screens. God just gave it to me right here, right now. When you're willing to give up what's in your hand, God will open up what's in his. Maybe the reason you're not experiencing the miraculous, maybe you're not experiencing what's in God's hands because your hands are full holding on to what you have. God's saying to you and he's saying to me, it's going to require you to sacrifice. It's going to require you to let go. It's going to require you to give up what you have in order to see unbelievable miracles take place. I want you to write this down. When you take your blessing and you use it to bless others, the impossible becomes possible for you and for them. Here's the thing to remember. That little boy, he went home grocery bags were still full they had more than they needed they got as much as they wanted he might have had to borrow a couple extra food line bags to take home to his mama what he had promised to bring home to her see when you're willing to take what you've been blessed with and use it to bless others God not only benefits others it benefits so, Robbie, what's the practical application of this? Well, there's a lot. Let me give you a few. First of all, there are some people in your life right now that desperately need the healing hope of Jesus. There are some people in your life right now that you've written off as they're just not a church person. They're just not there. They're, they're just not into what I'm into. They're just a different breed. I'm, I'm, they do their thing and I do mine. But maybe God's placed you in their life for such a time as this. Maybe it's time for you to risk big. Maybe it's time for you to sacrifice big. Maybe it's time for you to risk your reputation. Maybe it's time for you to risk the relationship. Maybe it's time for you to go all out and say, you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus. Because if I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get you to Jesus, maybe, just maybe, 
Jesus will do whatever it takes to transform you. So maybe you sacrifice a relationship. Maybe you sacrifice and run the risk of a reputation in order to get somebody to the Lord. Robbie, why are you bringing that up now? Well, because it's Christmas. You know when people are most apt to say yes to coming to church with you? To come and hearing about the grace of God, the love of Jesus with you? Christmas. You know when it's the easiest to invite somebody to church? Christmas. Maybe this is your time to sacrifice big on his behalf as we head into this season. Second practical application is God's got big plans to do major things in the lives of people through the local church. But it requires the local church stepping up to the plate and saying, hey, I'm going to sacrifice it all. I'm going to risk it all in an effort to be a part of it. So here's what that means. That means you, specifically you, say, I'm not going to hang on to my resources anymore. I'm going to generously give my resources. I'm not going to hang on to what I have. I'm going to give away what I have. I'm going to give generously through the local church. Some of you are going, great, I knew this this is where this is going. This message is about him give, them get, us giving more money, isn't it? That's what this is all about. No, 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 no. This is about you being willing to sacrifice whatever it takes in an effort to see God do what only he can do. The question is, are you willing to risk big? Are you willing to sacrifice big? Are you willing to give big? Are you willing to let go of a lot in an effort to see a lot take place? first opportunity next week next week is our grand opening here at Hope City why don't you do whatever it takes to make sure you don't come along why don't you do whatever it takes to make sure that everything is fully funded in an effort to do what it is we need to do as we head into this holiday season why don't you make the personal decision hey if nobody else will I'm going to give up my family's dinner and that may be a lot. It may be a big ask. You may say, well, I don't have a lot of money. Well, I don't have a lot of time. Well, I don't have a lot of energy. Well, I don't have a lot to give. Well, I would volunteer, but I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. Yeah, you do. You got everything you need. You just got to choose whether or not you're going to leverage it. And if you choose to leverage it, God will choose to leverage God, we love you and we thank you for the power and the truth of your word. Thank you for the difference that it makes in us. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing in and through our church and our lives. We ask that you give us the strength, the courage, the boldness, and the wisdom to leverage what you've placed in our hands in an effort to make a difference in the lives of those that are around us. Please, Lord Jesus, convict, prod, challenge us where we choose to hang on in an effort to preserve ourselves because this isn't about us this is about the 5,000 that you want to feed it's in the name of Jesus that we pray